Hello and welcome to another episode of Grange TV. We have with us probably one of the most influential people of our time, Mr. Eli Hedges, TAFE extraordinaire, um, special guest uh, Craig Jones and Mr. Robert Whitaker. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, thanks for the visit too. Eh? We're having a great time watching uh, Craig roll, you know, watching you two roll, uh, Craig and, and Rob role because i'm out i have actually have a staph infection so i can't train it just makes me not want to do jujitsu at all so um i'm glad that they, uh i realize how shit my life is <laughs> thank you guys no also I, I think one of us is rolling like craig's rolling i'm, I'm just there i'm just being there i'm just a dummy what's been happening craig so what's can you because you got a crazy schedule a lot of people don't know like what what it's like like you tell us a little bit about your schedule uh, yeah, so well, 20, 2018 was probably the, the craziest uh, year for my jiu-jitsu. I had a big win at ADCC in 2017, and since then it really took off. But uh, just non-stop international trips, non-stop seminars. I think I did like 36 international trips just for 2018. So it was, yeah, massive year. So that's like, uh, I think I competed in 10 events, 75 seminars, two training camps, yeah, it was rough. It was a rough year. Too many flights. <laughs> what, when you say, when you say, thir- you said 36 countries? Uh, yeah, well, 36 separate international trips. So sometimes I, do, I think I went to the UK like three times in the end. Some places multiple times, yeah. How many times b- did you fly out of Australia? 36 times? No. Oh, I'd have to put it together. Sometimes it would be like the US to the UK. But yeah, I, uh, most of the times... I would come back to Australia quite a bit, but only for short stints. So that's where it sucks living in Australia. It's like, what is it, to the UK, 24 hours, to the US, 16 hours. So that really adds up. A little bit of trivia. The longest trip in the world, the longest one non-stop flight, Sydney to Dallas. Have you done that one? I haven't done that. What's that, 17 hours? Yeah, 17 hours and 20 minutes. A barrel of fun. It's an absolute (laughs) fucking stuck in economy. What's it like for you, Rob, with with the travel like that, living out here? It's terrible. It's terrible. You know, um, it, well, it depends how, how you fly as well. Like, um, and I'm, a, I, I'm one of those guys that can't sleep on a plane at all. So as soon as you, I get in there, I'm up the whole time. And then when I land in the US, I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess of a person. Like, what, what about you? Do you sleep? I sleep. Yeah, I try and take like a sleeping tablet or something. I try and uh, force adjust the time zone change. So if I say i'm flying to a country where i should be awake i try and stay awake on the plane and then if i should be asleep i try and take like a sleeping tablet something does jet lag affect you yeah yeah actually i'm not so bad to the us these days but when i fly to the uk that hits me for like four or five days wow and like what happens how does it affect you just like trying to stay awake and it's like 6 p.m and then waking up at 3 a.m usually fly to the uk for at least two three days wide awake at 3 a.m wow so with like nothing to do really <laughs> yeah i'm very much like that as well like when I, whenever i go to the u.s and <clears throat> you think i would have gotten a little bit used to it but not when i when i get there every every time i'm waking up at like four and i'm wide awake as, as bells and then like around midday i'm so tired yes <laughs> like, it's horrible you, you never get used to it it feels like it's uh doing horrible things to your health right <laughs> yeah well because then you're trying to like I bet you're the same you're trying to get in sessions at the same time and you're trying to do different things you have different commitments over there and it's just it's hard. Yeah, I remember uh, for ADCC, 
because at the time I was broke and I couldn't afford to take too much time off teaching classes. So I flew to, oh, where was it? It was in Finland. But I just flew in the day before the competition. So it was like, by the time the competition came, I was up at 2 a.m. that day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which was a big mistake, probably in retrospect. <laughs> but that was, that was the time of your biggest wins too. That was, yeah. The, on the first day, I felt fine. Because I had two matches in the end. Two matches, and then the next day with the semis of the open weight. But by day two rolled around, waking up at 2 a.m., horrible. Can you tell us about the lead up into those matches? Because that, like, that was your, your, like, people in Australia, we, we knew about you, but heading into the, um, was it Leandro Lowe and? Leandro Lowe, yeah. Yeah, but was Leandro Lowe first or Marilo Santana first? Uh, Leandro first round and Marilo second round. So they put, uh, because the Asia Oceana ADCC trials, we're sort of like a low seed country I think we're the lowest seed uh, trials event so we have to face the favorite to win the division first round just the way they seed it and for this ADCC they actually did some betting odds and they put me against Leandro first and it was a 50 to 1 underdog so you put money on it I should have put money on it yeah but yeah I was, I was 50 to 1 underdog for that but I was able to get the better of uh, Leandro but then um, what was it like going into it though like Going up against Leandro Lowe, can you give a little bit of background of who Leandro Lowe is for people that don't know, and then just tell us what it's like for for you going in going in there? Yep. Uh, well, Leandro is probably considered one of the best geek grapplers in the world. I think he won the world championships at lightweight two years in a row, and then he won at middle, medium heavy, and then he lost at uh, heavyweight. So he's crazy because he's just jumping weight divisions and still doing doing very very well. But he's He's mostly a gi grappler, but previous to this ADCC, he had a super fight with Gordon Ryan, who I guess most people consider the best uh, no-gi grappler in the world. He beat Gordon Ryan in a no-gi event. So based on that, they had him as the favorite to win this ADCC. But yeah, Leandro is a crazy guy because he's notorious for not tapping to submissions. If someone attacks his legs, he'll just let it snap. And that's what happened in our match. I was able to get him in a leg lock and I wasn't sure whether he would uh, tap, but I was, I was certain I could do enough damage to sort of change the match. And yeah, he just let his, I don't know what, something tore in his knee. It sounded like a big sheet of cardboard tearing. Oh, really? <laughs> he just pulls. Uh, what was it that you had exactly? I had an inside heel hook. And not only did he uh, not tap, he rolled the wrong way. So he made it come on oh. twice as quick. And then he just, he just bluffs it out. Like I remember, I didn't see it at the time, but we went out of bounds. And we're walking back, so I'm facing the ref, and he's behind me. And he's just shaking his leg out a little bit, trying to get feeling back in that thing. Fuck. He's crazy, though. He lets it, uh, he's let it hyperextend the wrong way as well from, like, a knee bar. So it's come cranked the wrong angle completely. And he just tries to, like, smile, shake his finger or something, and then he rips it out. He took the guy's back. He's a crazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to work this out. He said like, he, he made a statement. He goes, "I'll never tap to a leg submission," and he never has. Yeah. Does he not need his legs? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't. I don't know how you're supposed to keep grappling when your knee goes. It's crazy, like everything yeah. breaks in it. Yeah. Some uh, some Brazilian guys don't want to tap to leg locks because they they don't consider them. I guess some people don't consider them an honourable submission traditionally. A lot of guys don't think that way these days, but they still just don't want to tap to it. Yeah, but some leg locks are devastating. Like you can, you can really get your. Yeah, the the inside heel hook should probably do some of the most damage. I think. I rolled. We we had a, an instructor, great jujitsu guy at our gym named Hugo Nunes. I'm going to shout him out, and he foot locked me once, 
and almost broke my shin. <laughs> like and and I fucking thought he was going to, like, he, he, he didn't, he didn't, like, he just put it on, you know? Yep. And that combination of him being really good, super strong, me being a bit of a pussy and having skinny legs, <laughs> this, that perfect storm combined almost broke my, at my shin. So I, I imagine people have to tap at some point. <laughs> well, Hector Lombard did that. Yes, in a competition, he broke that dude's shin. And that dude was a kid. That guy was, I think he's 17 or 18. Straight ankle lock, snapped the tibia fibula in half. Yeah, you can see it on, on YouTube. I don't want it. And you hear it. it. That's the worst part. I don't want it. Oh, you're making, you're grossing me out. Like, <laughs> barbaric. Uh, you know Manny, Manny, um, Manny Gamburian? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's the ultimate fighter guy, right? Yeah, yeah, that guy. He he was in a match in the in in the, in the UFC after the house, and he put it on someone, and you see the bone go. It didn't snap, but you see, I believe it might have been the, the tibia, like just kind of like slide out or something of the guy's leg, and the guy screamed like it just went like like that, and he's like, "Fuck, I didn't mean to break your leg," and I'm like, oh, "I'm pretty sure you did," but yeah, <laughs> 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 it looked like you did. Like, what were you trying to do? Then? <laughs> so, so in the in the lead up to it. Were you particularly nervous of the fact that you were up against him? Um, well, actually, because the way ADCC works is if you're in a division with a teammate, you guys are meant to face first round. So they don't generally want you to, uh, to risk you both getting in the final and having maybe a fake match. So uh, we tra- I trained with Kid for that event, so I was assuming I'd either have Kid first round or second round. Like they'd try and get us together early. But the guy that organized the bracket forgot we were teammates, so we separated it. So the whole training camp, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be Kit I'm going to have to uh, face. But then on the day of the event, it was Leandro. So it probably worked in my favor because I, I wasn't really thinking about having a face, maybe the best guy in the world, straight away. And that sort of took away a bit of the stress, I think. And then with, with Leandro, was re-naked you got him with? I re-naked, yeah. So mm-hmm. I went for the legs. He popped his leg. I went for the same leg He lock. popped his leg and kept rolling. Kept going, yeah. Oh, Just God. shook it he's out. He's done it before. You, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he's there done. There was a cardboard tear. One yeah, yeah like a huge, it sounded horrible. But uh, I went for the same leg lock and I just used it to sweep the next time and he gave up the back and gave the choke. But yeah, he was, uh, obviously he respected the leg lock, just not enough to tap to it. Did, did, he, did he tap to the, to the rear naked or did tapped, he just go yeah, yeah, he tapped to the rear naked. <laughs> So he'll tap if I had the to one pick that, one, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather go out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not going to let my knee tear. For sure. But, there, I mean, Leandro used to train with some guys, the Meow Brothers, and they're even worse again. Uh, there's a video of Joao Meow getting put in a toehold, and his foot does a complete 360. Oh, my God. It no. comes, yeah. there, there's no ligaments attached anymore, so it comes completely out of the socket. This is called an amputation. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's toe-holding him, looking at the ref, and Meow's facial expression is not even changing. And he lets go of it and it just slingshots back into place. And then what happens? He just wins the match. He goes on to win the match. Can he walk? He walk. He hobbles. Because his ankles don't have the ligaments to... Uh... Wait, wait. They didn't have him before or they don't have him now? They don't have him now. Like, they're completely, completely destroyed. I reckon it would be amazing to see those guys get, like, an MRI of their whole body. Because generally speaking, they won't tap to anything. They let everything go. <laughs> that was an awkward silence. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think about it. And I'm thinking like, like in that sense, like that's so much worse than like MMA. <laughs> no, but but I'll, I will say this: you you, in your, I think it was your first fight, didn't tap to uh, heel hook. 
yeah. you've got your knee torn. Yeah. Why is that? that well, I, that's, I, th- I think, though, <laughs> that's to, the, to my defence... That's a pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> no, no, no. To my defence, I didn't know what a heel hook was at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't know my knee was in danger. And, and did it hurt a lot when it popped? I didn't feel it at all. So maybe it's that. Maybe the adrenaline covers it to a certain extent. No, if you've let your knee pop multiple times <laughs> and you're like high, high-level jiu-jitsu and you can see your knee at a funny angle... <laughs> You know what's happening. <laughs> what, what, what about with you when you've, when you've been caught in stuff like that? Uh, luckily, I haven't had to make that decision yet. But what about with an arm? <clears throat> with an arm, generally speaking, I'll tap. If it was like a career-defining moment, I'd probably really... It depends what it was. You know, if it was some sort of neck or spine lock, I'd probably, I'd probably tap to that. Just because that would be long lasting. <laughs> probably, <damage>. yeah. <laughs> probably, <laughs> but it's a difficult thing. Like if you're up, no. If it's points, you're up three points and the thing's about to end and yeah, you've like, let the arm break. Yeah, yeah. I might sacrifice an arm. I might. <laughs> it's it's hard to to put in perspective. Maybe in the heat of the moment, yeah, I might let it go. And there's different types of things too, because you can just have your elbow dislocated and then you pull out of the arm, or it snaps. The ulna and the radius. That, yeah, like Frank Mir did that. Yeah, right it just snaps and you fucking. Yeah, well, I've. I mean, poked the guy with the shards of the bone. I've been armbarred and tapped, and the guy still hyperextended my arm. And I thought, how much worse would it have been if I didn't tap? Like, he just did the damage anyway. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, years ago, Burak, a, a, a Melbourne guy. He, he armbarred me. I tapped. He ripped it. It went backwards, maybe out to here. And it wasn't that bad the next, like it was, I had to recover from it. But I remember thinking like, I probably could have kept grappling. I probably could have let that go. Did he hate you? <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> it's like a Palhares moment, right? Fuck. And we'll get to Palhares in a second. And then there was... Uh, Murillo. So, so when you beat um, Leandro, what are the feelings associated with that? And was it hard to come down from the high of winning um, and get ready for Murillo? A little bit, but I was pretty worried about Murillo. Murillo's, uh, he's probably one of the best grapplers in the world too. Probably Nogi, better, definitely better in Nogi than Leandro is, but just less famous. I was in Abu Dhabi when he won, uh, not in Abu Dhabi, I was in Rio when he won the Abu Dhabi trials in Rio yeah. at 77 kilos. Um, and I saw, like, I, I was watch, I watched him, he, he beat everyone and he was so good. Yeah, he's, this was uh, 2009, 2010, whatever it was, 2009. Yeah, when he back in those days, he had a run at the ADCC Worlds where he like uh, came really close to beating all the best guys. He just got edged out. Like uh, it was like Andre Gavao, Cron. Uh, well, like one nil or something yeah. against Andre Gavao. Yeah, like well, he swept Andre Gavao before points came in, and then Gavao swept him back after points. But it was like dead even. So I was I was pretty worried about facing Murillo, but I was able to catch him. Uh, I caught him with a flying triangle pretty early. What made you do that? Like, what? what? Just because there were, uh, at that point, there were, you weren't going to lose points by ending up uh, on bottom. So I thought I'd just wing it. And just go just with a flying triangle. Yeah, a sort of more, I guess, a high risk move. Yeah. I would have tried that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, why the fuck not? <laughs> nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then you had. Hibero after that? Yeah, then the next day I had... Uh, did I have Hibero? Hibero was the... No, I had Keenan Cornelius the next day. 
And I'd previously trained with Keenan. I felt pretty confident going into that match. And then again, after the first day, probably too confident. I, th I made, took a few too many risky moves and he beat me by points. And then I had the bronze medal match against Shanji and Shanji beat me by a takedown. And then we did the open weight. And for the open weight, I didn't want to compete anymore. I had already finished for the day. I was at the bar, I was having a couple of beers with uh, my coach Lachlan. And the promoter, the organizer came up and he's like, are you gonna do open weight? And I was like, drinking a beer. I'm like, clearly I'm not gonna do the open weight division. And he's like, what if I give you Chael Sonnen? And I was like, all right, I'll do it if it's Chael Sonnen. Cause I didn't want to enter the open weight if it was like some, like Bouchesha or Alonso Sanchez, some monster, like 120 kilo monster. But I thought I would do it for Chael Sonnen. And I was able to leg lock him, but then I lost the next match to Gordon. What was Chael like to grapple? Yeah, he was pretty, uh, he's a strong guy. Is he, was he big? Was he jacked for that? Pretty jacked. I reckon he would have, he would have been over 100 kilos. What was weird is he had a super fight at ADCC and they still put him in the open weight. Generally speaking, you have to do the divisions to get put in the open weight. But uh, there were a lot of guys that year that didn't want to compete in the open weight. So they, they bumped Chael Sonnen in, which was good because it's a good win for me. A good like famous MMA mm. fighter, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, have you tapped any MMA fighters since then? Or say today? Have you tapped any MMA fighters today? <laughs> <laughs> none, none at just, all. Just today. I'm just like, <laughs> just throwing a random day out. Um, what about, what about Pajares? Because he's a scary fellow. He looks like he could apply some torque. Oh, yeah. Cause I remember I used to joke about qualifying for ADCC because 88 kilos was Pajares' division. And I used to be always be like, oh, I'm excited I've qualified, but I hope that guy's not in the, <laughs> not in the division. We're not even getting paid for this, you know what I mean? I hope they don't bring him in. But uh, <clears throat> they didn't bring him in, but then I ended up having to face him in a super fight anyway. And there was just, uh, it was just problem after problem with that guy. We, we signed a match at 190 pounds, and he showed up the day, of, the day before at 220 pounds. <laughs> and his first excuse was so he missed weight by 30 pounds by 30 he had a note from a doctor that said <laughs> if he cuts weight he will die <laughs> in them words yeah yeah and, and then the second excuse was that he had a second manager that told him where well, he, he said I thought all grappling matches there were never any weight divisions and he said that he said that and I was like but you, you had a match with Gary Tonin where you made weight so it was just problem after problem. Uh, Palhares is uh, like a lot of people say. Did you end up taking the, like, I mean, I know you took the match, but so what happened? He didn't have to cut weight. He, no, he didn't cut weight. You the should fight at featherweight, Rob. And just <laughs> have sure. that, just have that um, thing. Just have a yeah. note from I'll, the doctor. I go, a note from my mum. <laughs> you cut, cut weight. You fight women's flyweight. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, took the, I took the match anyway, but uh, it was a terrible match. Nothing happened. Why is that? Uh, well, he just didn't engage. Like I sat to guard because he was obviously a lot bigger, so I didn't really want to wrestle with the guy. And then he just just kept pushing me. He kept doing this crazy thing during the match where he would stop grappling. He'd look at me and he'd start smiling, and I'd be <laughs> I'd be uncomfortable. So I'd like smile back at him, and then he'd just slap <laughs> slap me in the face. And I was like, "What is wrong with this guy? <laughs> how 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 much did you do that? A lot. Yeah, he slapped me a lot." How long did the match go for? 15 minutes. <laughs> it's a long time to get but slapped. But if you for. watch it, it, it feels like an hour maybe. Because <laughs> that's all that happens. What, was he ridiculously strong? <clears throat> yeah, he's super strong. I would like, I was just trying to butt scoot towards him to grab him. 
and he would hit me to the floor and I couldn't hold on to the guy. Like he'd hit me. I remember one time he slapped me to the floor so hard, I posted on my elbow, my shoulder almost came out. I was like, bang, and almost popped out. How, I felt like a superhuman. How much more or the same did he slap you compared to Cyborg and Gordon? Oh, yeah, Gordon got slapped a lot more. <laughs> oh, Gordon got slapped a lot more than... than yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they were like strikes, basically. Cyborg slapped Gordon. They were like uh, basically throwing punches to his face. But but Pajaro's wasn't like that with you. He hides it in like a, a wrestling like uh, tie-up. I don't think he hit it that well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I watched I watched the match. <laughs> it didn't it didn't hide it. Can you yeah. explain to me like how 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 are there strikes in grappling? Yeah, it's not meant to be unless it's. But uh, but he, like just help me out here. Like they he, how do. How do what, how does one sneak a strike? <laughs> they pretend to grab a neck and then just try like a like a head snap. Yeah, and try and smack you in the back of the head as hard as they can. Yeah, but like like easy playing basketball. Yeah, how easy plays basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how easy plays. So so when when you so then when you face these guys now, are you? When did the transition happen? Because at some point you would have. And I mean, it may have happened before that, but at some point you would have looked at Leandro Lowe or uh, or uh, or uh, Marilo Santana and been like a fan. All right, yeah, yeah. When did that change? Well, I, com- I competed in ADCC in 20- 2015, was it? Or 20, yeah, 2015. And I came in like eight kilos underweight. I was more coming in like a fan and I fought Homolo Bajo, who was the, who's the previous champ. And he beat me in three minutes. But I remember thinking, like, I didn't go in with any expectation of winning, but I remember thinking there was some, even some moments in that match where I, like, I got my guard back. Like, so the guy didn't feel, like, completely unbeatable. And then I guess from that moment on, I started looking at the opponents as sort of more human beings rather than, than the people you worship, I guess. When, 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 when did that happen with you? What was the relationship with that with you, with, um, or, or lack of relationship with that with you, with fighting and that? Yeah. Did you ever look? Did you ever look at anyone as a fan? Not, not as a fan. Because you didn't really watch a lot of MMA in fairness. Yeah, yeah. I um, I've never looked at any of them as a fan or anything like that. But I definitely looked at like the top five dudes, like when uh, Weidman was champ and Anderson Silva was up there, and a lot of those killers were up up the top. Like I definitely looked at them and like thought to myself, man, I've got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. And then I don't, I, I don't know. Like I just edged my way closer, and then I fought some um fought Uriah Hall and then I fought Brunson and it was Brunson and Jakarta where my where my perspective changed much like your own where it's like oh wow these guys are just human they drop like everybody else like you know and um then yeah and then after after those and then I back to back Romero's like I realized that you know I'm up there with everybody else back to back Romero fights will do that to a man (laughs) (laughs) they'll do that He's fun to grapple. Yeah, <laughs> he gets younger every year. Yeah, he just keeps yeah, <laughs> he just keeps getting he's, younger. He's got a painting that ages for him. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you with um in the jiu-jitsu world, is there friction between the Brazilians and the non-Brazilians? Uh yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, some people play it up a lot. I, I guess you got to be very careful. Some guys will lose a match to a Brazilian, and they'll blame the. Uh, I guess the, they'll think that they lost because the Brazilians were corrupt or something like that. So it's a fine line between you wanting to take away your opponent's victory, you know what I mean, and make it excuses. But there definitely is a lot of friction. Like uh, Keenan Cornelius has, uh, 
has had some tough calls made against him. And a lot of the time people look back and say that it's because, uh, because he's an American. And I guess the Brazilians run the IBJJF, the biggest, event, uh, biggest tournament series in the world. And they hire predominantly Brazilian refs. And I think uh, a, lo a lot of calls, a lot of close calls do go towards the, uh, the Brazilian competitors. And it's, I mean, it's hard. You can't get in the mind of the ref and see if they are being corrupt or if that's really truly how they saw it. But that definitely is, um, that definitely is a big factor. Can you explain IFBJJF and that, how it's run and what you mean by that? Oh, the IBJJF is like a, it's just a company, one of the oldest companies for running tournaments in Jiu-Jitsu. I think they won the first Worlds in 1996 and they've been running tournaments ever since. They're sort of like the most widely recognized number one gi tournament in the world. They get the biggest numbers in the world. They charge a lot of money to compete. They um, charge you registrations to become a member to compete. They really, uh, your coach has to be registered. He has to pay a lot of money to register his team just so that you can compete. Um, I think your coach has to have three stripes now on his black belt, recognized by them. He has to be a member throughout that whole process for them to recognize him, or he has to go through some, a lot of paperwork to backtrack that. I guess it sort of makes sense in that they're sort of trying to make it legitimate black belts are running these teams. But again, you could see the uh, opportunity for corruption there and to make a lot of money out of it. And then these guys run these events and they run a stack of events. There's, some, there's probably one every weekend of the year, sometimes multiple events per year. I think Europeans would have 5,000 competitors paying close to 200 US dollars to compete. So you can see there's a lot of money going in I think they have started paying the athletes recently, maybe the number one ranking over the course of the series. I think if you win a world championship, you don't get paid anything, but you get any IBJJF tournament you've ever entered, you get all the registration fees back and you get to compete free for life after that. So for a company that makes an absolute fortune, it's really not a great avenue for a professional competitor. But again, with jiu-jitsu, you make most of your money off of your name. So I guess by winning the IBJJF, you are going to elevate your name. I guess you are somewhat being exploited, but from the growth of your name, you are going to build up uh, a name to sell seminars, sell DVDs, maybe get some super fights that will actually pay you. Were, were they the reason that the, I remember when Rio held the Olympics, they were allowed to add some sports and they wanted to add BJJ, didn't they? But I think yeah, but that, was, yeah, that was the reason why, because they thought that it would take away from the, yeah. the competitions. The way it works, I believe, with the Olympic Games is if you want a sport in the Olympics, now the Olympics oversees and owns that sport, essentially. Mm. So the IBJJF definitely don't want to give up their control over the sport to, a, to an Olympic body. Mm. But uh, they definitely should have put it in for the Brazilian Olympics. You could add in your own sport. They should have added in their biggest, one of their biggest time sports. Here's a question. How much do you think not having jiu-jitsu in the Olympics affects jiu-jitsu? I guess just government funding, really. A lot of Olympic sports get government funding. That's the only thing we'd really miss out on. Do you think it would affect the widespread practice of the sport? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they did with judo, right? They uh, put judo in the Olympics and they kept changing the rules to make it more fan-friendly, fan-friendly, and then they, it just became something completely different to what... I think judo back in the day used to be more like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It was, yeah, you had the Kosen judo and you had a lot more free-flowing nawaza. Um, fun fact, but judo is the most practical... After soccer is the most practiced sport in the world. 
oh, really? like the most widespread sport in the world. Um, and like if you go like to African countries, you know wherever they they all do judo. They, they all do judo. How how far? Like, and it's one of the things like that I, I think is what holds jiu-jitsu back from being like a sport as widely spread as judo is if you're not gonna i don't know enough about the governing body or not but if you're not going to have it in the olympics and it's not going to be able to go through the governing bodies of um all these separate nations you're probably missing out on a lot of talent as well for sure for sure i guess the problem i see with judo is although judo is so widely practiced there's very few judo athletes making any money at all Mm -hmm. right that's why I guess I thank the Gracies for being shrewd businessmen back in the day for putting a value. Like people were willing to pay large amounts of money to do jiu-jitsu, but you couldn't uh, convince the average consumer to pay. They don't even want to pay for judo, I guess. Judo so They don't. Government Same as wrestling, boxing. Yeah. People yeah. don't want to pay more than 10 bucks a, a week at the PCYC. Exactly, yeah. But for some reason, like in our gym charges, $54 a week to train. And that's people don't even blink at that. But I get if it was only judo, you might be like, "Oh, no way." What's what? What's it like? When did you jump up financially, making a living? Like after those two wins? After those two wins, yeah. Previous to that was just uh, drastic changes. Yeah, drastic. I think uh, at the time, I was probably after rent on a hundred and fifty dollars a week, trying to make do out of that. I'd have to teach the morning classes, so I'd uh, I'd get up five thirty every day. I'd teach the 6.30 to 7.30 jiu-jitsu class. I'd try and fill the day with privates, and then I'd have to teach sometimes two extra classes a night, sometimes far away from where I lived. So I wasn't getting much sleep at all, just filling the day with private lessons. <laughs> but then after that, it was a lot easier. Sponsorship came after that. Uh, seminars were a lot easier to go. And, and so what's a typical day for you now? Day for me now? I mean, I don't even have a typical day anymore, really spending so much time on the road so like i mean typical day in melbourne would be probably just train twice a day kick back do absolutely nothing else order uber eats <laughs> what so, so what happens you get up at what time uh nowadays probably get up at like 7 8 a.m i think we train at 10 30 and then i'll try and fit in another training session throughout the day at any other point maybe do some weight lifting as well usually in bed pretty early and uh when you have and, and then you might have that for how long until you have to go on the road for seminars? Like, how, how does that work? I would say I've been home for three months out of the last maybe 15, 15 months. The worst part's paying rent for a house you're not in. It's <laughs> fucking brutal. But, but the flights, international flights and that, the day they would take its toll. But Yeah, I should calculate how much time. Because you're only, what, that's... 17 years old or something? Me? <laughs> 27, 27. Oh, fuck, well, you... <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the worst part is just, yeah, just flying. It's just horrible, hey. But I think a lot of people fantasize about the traveling life, but like what they really fantasize, fantasizing about is a vacation. Yeah, 100%. You know, like the, when, when like Rob fights and like they'll go, oh, it must be fun. You go, you know, <laughs> and I think, fuck. Like I'm not even fighting and it's not fun, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, it's very, very stressful you got there's places you've got to be with yeah. big consequences you know like it's not yeah when when everyone so like you said just then everyone associates traveling with like sightseeing and tourism and the food and stuff but <laughs> you're traveling to a place and you're cutting weight and uh. then you got like a big tournament or a competition coming up you got things to do like it's just work 
so that it's like a 16 or 24 hour drive to work <laughs> that's terrible yeah. and i don't think anyone fantasizes about flying no. like the shitty fucking 17 hour flights you know the other thing is i hear people in the u.s go i just got off a flight a nine hour flight or an eight hour flight to britain or whatever and i think that's like perth to us you know <laughs> like a little bit further than perth like i wish i only had to fly seven hours you right. know like you know though like i do like flying like yeah but I, you're a sociopath dude no nah, nah, <laughs> because i when when you're in the air i can't sleep anyway and normally i'm reading and it's, I, I enjoy reading it but um when you're flying there's nothing else you can or should be doing than just sitting there on your <laughs> bum reading or just doing whatever you want like i enjoy that period it's not now it'd be better if when i landed i didn't have to do anything and could sleep for five days but like that little brief window of like your only purpose in life at this point is is just to sit here <laughs> like and no one can bother you right yeah no that's not can, bad that's no, not bad I, I, i'm uncomfortable in planes i don't sleep properly you look uncomfortable now <laughs> no I, i'm not i'm not comfortable on, on the planes I, I don't like it I, I and i think that's rough like that the, the worst part about flying i think is like uh like if we're flying to do something that's not a vacation right and you want to try and relax on the plane or like you say you want to f- try and get some sleep the problem is and i feel bad is that the people that are going on vacation they're super pumped they're excited to be on the plane they want to drink talk yeah. be loud and stuff and you're like ah it kills you hey obviously you don't want to tell them to shut up and kill their uh excitement on their journey but uh if you have to fly for business and someone's there loving life, it's a painful experience. You know what kills me when they bring the tray of food out and there's always that little bit of cake? I don't know if you've had much... Do you have to cut weight a lot? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and there's a little bit of cake and we're heading over to, for training and there's a little square piece of cake. Little piece! It's a tiny piece. And it comes down and I just look at it going, I can't eat that. <laughs> you pieces of shit. <laughs> So, so then you let's say you fly out to the UK. You, I think you were saying to me the other day, you flew out to the UK and you had 11 seminars or something in 12 uh, days? No. Uh, or were I, you lying? <laughs> no. I flew, actually, I, did, uh, I think I did 20 seminars in 21 days and competed. And that was all throughout the UK and Ireland. That'd be like up to Scotland, Northern England, Southern England. And that was, yeah, that was tough. It wasn't this last trip to the UK, but it was the one previous. The last one I... I did some seminars uh, across Europe, but yeah, that was rough. And for you, is that is that how you live? Like b- through seminars, is that your main income? Um, I guess it's supplementary income. Sometimes it's hard to say no. You know what I mean? You think about it. They ask you at a time when you're not tired. You know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, I'll, j- I'll jump and do that seminar. And then when the time comes, you're like, oh, I just need a break right now, you know? I have a real bad habit of doing stuff like that. Yeah. Impulsive decision maker. (laughs) (laughs) Almost all my decisions are based on how I feel right now. (laughs) And then then when the time comes, I'm always wrecked after training or something. I'm like, I would kill someone not to do this. (laughs) What excuse do I have? Is is it (laughs) hard though that, that, that lifestyle, like, is it hard? Because like, I think we were talking about it before people go like, you know, you can make a lot of money doing seminars. So-and-so just flies around the world doing seminars, blah, 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 blah. And when I hear that, I like, I think that doesn't sound like a bunch of fun. Yeah, I mean, you, you put up an Instagram photo in Germany or something and people are like, look at this guy, he's living it up. But they don't see that, like, maybe you got four hours sleep the night before because you were catching an overnight train to make the seminar the next day. 
and then you get to the seminar and uh, <clears throat> obviously you, I would probably commit to three hours but try and be a nice guy hang out with the guys afterwards go get dinner and stuff but then again sometimes that they, they drag your time out right you don't want to be like no I've got to go right now but sometimes dinner after a seminar maybe the seminar finishes at nine and in my mind I'm thinking oh a quick dinner 60 minutes 90 minutes and then I look at the time it's like 1 a.m. and I got to be up for another flight the next day to catch to do a seminar in a different location and that's that gets very draining do, do you think it would be easier when you've finally put aside your own career like after after you've done and ticked all the boxes that you've wanted to do in grappling and you go all right now it's just seminars do you think that would make it oh that would be yeah that would be kind of easier wouldn't it the catch 22 though is yeah. that there be by that stage it'd be another 26 year old craig jones yeah, that he's many <laughs> yeah he's the hot shit at the moment and He's the one doing the seminars. Man, life, life's <laughs> bleak. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, Everyone just went silent. Like, I just, yeah. I have that, I have that effect yeah. on people. Thanks, man. <laughs> oh, man, you got to, you got to strike while the iron's hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you enjoying it though? Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it sometimes in the moment. Like sometimes when you you're traveling doing seminars, in the moment you might. It might not be having a good time, but when you look back, you're like, you're glad you did it, I guess. But this year, because ADCC happens every two years, I'll try and cut down the seminars, focus more on training. That's where it gets hard, because obviously you want to make money and put money away and save it up, but then if that eats into the training time, then, I mean, it's cash 22, you might start to compete less and then we'll compete worse and get less seminars. So you don't want to be too chasing the money. Yeah, because you, you're, you're taking it from yourself at the end of the exactly, day. Exactly, yeah. Um, what's a... Um, <laughs> so, Everything yeah. else is virtually identical. <laughs> He's virtually identical. <laughs> um, so we haven't been doing much jiu-jitsu, just been mainly sparring in that. Stand-up. Just mainly yeah, yeah. K1 kickboxing. <laughs> it's, been, it's been good. It's been great for Rob's self-esteem. Because he's a southpaw. <laughs> we brought him in. <laughs> so what's... Um, does that happen a lot? Do you get called in to, for fight camps? Uh, no, I don't think... This would be the first main one, I think. Sometimes when I'm traveling around, I'll train with the odd MMA guy and stuff. But yeah, generally speaking, not as yet. How do you find the level of jiu-jitsu for MMA guys? In, with, with MMA guys in general? I think MMA guys are just better athletes. Much better athletes than the average jiu-jitsu guy. It's too easy to be lazy in jiu-jitsu. So when you transition from rolling with jiu-jitsu guys to MMA guys you realize how many corners you sort of cut and how those guys don't stop moving. That's the, that's the big difference, I think, is just the level of athlete. Rob didn't look like he was moving that much yeah. today. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> I wasn't moving that much, mate. <laughs> you stopped that pretty easily. So, so um, what's the, like, if, if you have a, a world-class jiu-jitsu guy. What are the pros and cons you see from what you do? Because like when you roll, like in, in fairness, when you're rolling with the guys, you look, you, you're head and shoulders above them, like the guys doing jiu-jitsu. But does, do you feel like it would be an easy transition to MMA? Um, if you train purely IBJJF, the way the rules work there and the way everything's structured, it guides towards a certain style of grappling. And that style of grappling, I think, is, uh, is not good for MMA. That's a style of grappling where guys are going to just lay on their back and stay there for a long period of time, right? If you train for ADCC, 
I think in the context of those rules, they drive similar fa- uh, things to MMA. Like uh, you don't want to end up on bottom. If you get on top, you got to hold the guy down. Whereas in IBJJF, if you get on top, the guy's going to just comfortably stay on the ground. ADCC guys are going to be more likely to try and stand back up. So in those set of rules, I think your grappling style transitions better to MMA. Because I think ADCC grappling's more like a fight than say what you think of when you think of the IBJJF style. And our ADCC forces a lot of wrestling exchanges. So all of that stuff would be better for, for MMA. But for you personally, when you look at it, at, at the level that you're at, do you see a fluid transition to MMA? Or do you think that, uh, are there things that make you, like, what goes through your mind, basically? All right, yeah, I think, uh, I don't think MMA is made for grapplers. The way I see it is like, uh, and I guess, uh, I guess people who heard Joe Rogan say similar things is like the fact that you've got rounds, you've got stand-ups, you know what I mean? All those things favor the striker. And like an MMA guy that understands grappling, like how hard is it to tap a guy that's sole purpose is not to get tapped? Not to mention you've got to take that guy down, hold him down and submit him in five minutes. I don't think that favors a pure grappling style. I think if it was a fight where it was just, uh, it was no rounds, maybe there was a certain period of time you called it, but there were no stand-ups. I reckon that's the sort of fight that would favor the grappler, but I think MMA is structured towards definitely the striking base. So you see, and, and for you, you started off wanting to do MMA. Yeah, yeah. What changed your mind? Um, nothing really changed my mind. I think because I started way back, 2005, 2006. I think uh, MMA was illegal still back then. No one was really training it much in Adelaide at the time. So it was really... I was going to say, it was illegal in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. But in the civilized world, it was already illegal. <laughs> yeah. Well, back then, there was not a... There was barely even a path to train jiu-jitsu multiple, uh, multiple times a week. Most gyms maybe had two, three sessions a week. So no one was really... There wasn't an MMA path that was visible. Even jiu-jitsu had one tournament a year. So I just naturally navigated towards the jiu-jitsu path because there was really... There was nothing in the way of MMA at the time. It didn't even seem like a, a choice I could make to pursue. Is it something you'd look at doing now? Um, tough to say, tough to say. I'd like to do, do it once, I think. But only if I accomplished, say if I won ADCC, I think I'd like to have one fight. But I don't think I'd like to make a career of it. I think I'd like to do it because I initially did want to do it. <clears throat> What do, you, what do you think, Rob, with someone like Craig and jiu-jitsu and fighting and that? Like, how, do, how does it feel with his, would he, would, for Craig to transition into MMA? Craig in particular. Um, yeah, he could definitely make a run for it. Like, definitely. With his skill set, you know. Because um, he's still very athletic as well. Like, at that, the top end of those grapplers are athletic. Yeah, yeah he'd definitely make a run for it. Like, um... Yeah, like um, I think, I think maybe like when you get down to the the, the top of the ladder sort of bit, you, you, the the holes in your game would start to start to be like those guys that know how to shut down a grappler. Oh, for sure, yeah. And and who might be a better striker, you're going to have trouble with. But a lot of the dudes that you can get to the ground, you're just maul, you'll run over. Like it'll it'll be yeah, it'll it'll be mean. But then, like you said, I think I think MMA is kind of. It does definitely, I think, favour strikers and 
I think favors even like wrestlers a little bit more than than jujitsu artists. Like, um, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Because you can, it's much easier to just shut down and be passive and just and to stop a lot of things with a punch to the head. Like, than it is to try and really engage in the grappling. Like, if I sat in your half guard well well away one hand on your hip and every time you tried to go deep i punch you in the face yeah. like you should have done that today i should have i would have had a lot more success like, you should have, you should have got more than one guy to punch him yeah. but um but like that that is much much easier than it is for you who's trying to work a deep half or like try to get yeah. under or like and then what's your option get up like okay he's staying too far away i've got to get back up and then and if you if you don't get up and he doesn't engage, they're going to send you up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... Yeah, it's yeah. a horrible rule set for yeah. a pure grappler. Yeah, cool. it, 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 yeah it's definitely, it definitely favours like a, like a... It favours MMA. Like MMA as a whole, like instead of like, like a pure grappler. Or if you had like a pure striker that had no, no grappling, same thing would happen. You'd eventually get taken down by a good grappler and... And beat up. Do you, do you prefer as a fighter? Do you prefer the five fives, three fives, like like because you, you gloves, no gloves. Like you were you were saying, uh, obviously no rounds as long as what half an hour or whatever would be more enticing for a grappler. For sure, yeah. No yeah. stand ups, even no gloves. I guess because gloves do make a difference, eh? And they can hit you so much harder with the gloves. Yeah, yeah. Because the hands don't break. break. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Rob? Well, as as a fighter, you personally do you like the rounds as they are because you've just been training them, or do you do you would you would you think uh, more a better expression of combat would be like one twenty five minute round or something like that? Yeah, I think um, I favour more the the one long round, and then if it doesn't end in twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, and call it a draw, like. Um, yeah, I think I think that would be better. I also think certain strikes should be allowed back in. Like what? Soccer kicks, and stomps. <laughs> Prad style. Do, do you know how hard it is to stomp someone that doesn't want to be stomped? It's like, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's a bit later. And there's so much technique to soccer kicking people, like, so that you don't break your own foot. You can't just go flailing, especially with like, I'm sure it's soccer kick you. It's not gonna work. <laughs> you got long legs. Like, it's hard. Um, yeah, I think I think differently, but then I also don't think bites should be allowed. Or which ones? Bites. No one. Or, no one was thinking or, that, man. Groin shots. <laughs> You're the only one thinking that. Or, or eye gouges, headbutts. You don't like oh, headbutts? Yeah, headbutts. Like a, yeah, headbutts are all right. I think they're all right. Like the guys back in the day, they used to headbutt to open the cut and they stick their fingers in to stretch the cut. Yeah, when they, they open the oh, cut. That's so that's gross. True psychopath, that. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the, the documentary, The Smashing Machine? Yeah, yeah. See how he's doing it? He's cut the guy and he's putting Mark Kern, he's putting he's his finger open. in the guy's cut like that and just cutting him open. Imagine the infections and that you'd get. You know, he punched a guy and then he had to go get surgery because he got like a massive infection, like a massive staff in his arm. Well, that's and what happened at uh, UFC 1 that uh the european guy that kicked the sumo wrestler uh and knocked the tooth out Godot. yeah uh gerard Godot. yeah gerard Godot. one tooth went out and one tooth got stuck in his foot and, and that tooth sent him to hospital yeah. for a long time infected his leg bad stuff 
Was, oh, maybe it wasn't staph. Maybe it was just a hardcore infection. I think mouth guard should yeah, say. I think it germs in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real unsanitary uh, sort of. If you get a cut from a tooth, that's real dangerous. And plus, it goes in so deep. Very. Ugh, that's fucking bad. On the subject of infections, your opponent that you were meant to. Oh yeah, you got a real bad, real bad. What's his name? Yeah, Jackson Souza. And. He, when did you find that out about the the staff actually it's a funny story because uh i didn't know the fight was off the promoter didn't know well i guess the match he didn't know the match was off either but uh someone else called me out that was friends with jackson and was like now jackson is out of the match we can have our match and i was like what is this and then i messaged the promoter and he said i haven't heard anything and then yeah we saw that picture he he doesn't want the picture being shared around apparently but uh yeah. Oh, well, it's fuck a, that one up. Yeah, it's out there. It's a. It's well and truly out there. It's one of the, one of the worst staph infections I think I've ever seen. It's it's not, it's got four holes. Am I allowed yeah. to say that? It's yeah, got yeah. fucking four yeah, holes. When I saw it, like I was thinking, like you have to want to let it grow yeah. <laughs> to get that bad. Like you have to be like going home and putting it under a UV light, like feeding it with spray, like. <laughs> Like <laughs> it was so, it's so bad. Like that's up there with some of the worst stuff I've seen. Yeah. Like Randleman's was bad, Mark's was bad, but that one was. That looks like you want to chop his leg off. Hey. That one was scary. That one was like a really scary thing to fucking see. That was, that wasn't normal. That no. That. I, uh, I got a funny story. A guy Barry Yoshida. Have you ever heard of this guy? Yep. He he was telling me a story when he got staff when he was younger. And uh, he was training with some hippie guy, and the guy told him to treat it naturally. No, so don't do that, buddy. Antibiotics. But so he on. was using like apple cider vinegar or something, and he said it spread throughout his whole body. <laughs> he was getting <laughs> things pop up. He thought he was going to die in the end. The hospital staff were like, "What's wrong with you, man?" You know, you know, like I I got it once, and and uh, someone told me to go, "Don't treat it, treat it with apple cider vinegar." And then when I saw the doctor, the doctor's like, "Don't do that." antibiotics <laughs> I, I love it when people go no naturally like back in the day no one had this I go yeah but a lot of people died yeah <laughs> like, a lot of people died back in the day mate but <laughs> like, but staff staff's worse now you know like it's it's gotten a lot worse now but you're not treating that shit you're not treating stuff that's antibiotic resistant with apple cider vinegar you know what I mean <laughs> or with a fucking ointment like now one of the guys recently uh, he went to the doctor and he had staff and his leg and I saw it, and I'm not a doctor, I barely finished high school, and I saw it, and I was, no, nah, no, nah, it's staff, and he went, and the doctor goes, no, nah, no, nah, you'll be right, just put some sorbeline cream on it, and The nah. doctors, that happens a lot, it happens to me, I'll be like, doc, I've got staff, I need antibiotics, he's like, no, 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 he's like, we'll just give it a cream for a couple of days, some people need to be retrained in that, hey. How, how, how prevalent is staff for you as a grappler, how much do you see it? Um, I never used to see it much, but I, I think it's very common amongst people that train very hard. Because I think uh, as you train harder, it sort of suppresses your immune system a bit. So I notice if I haven't done much wrestling for a while, when I start to wrestle again is where I, th I feel like I'll be more susceptible to it. I definitely think it has a big uh, factor as the uh, amount of sleep and rest and how hard your training is. I think if it pops up a couple times, maybe you're training too hard. Maybe your immune system's not handling it very well. But yeah, it's pretty prevalent. Pretty prevalent in grab. yeah. How many times have you had it? Four or five times, I think. But only one time where I was really like, I was worried. 
I had that recent. I had a my elbow swelled out, like it was actually like pretty big and painful. Usually, I catch it pretty early. Do you do your competitor? Do you go to gyms, but where you look around and you're like, this looks like they're breeding it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I travel around, and some gyms don't have showers. I feel like it should be a law. You know what I mean? Like, if you understand the dangers of staff, you guys got to have a shower there. Staff and ringworm and all sorts of shit. Yeah. How many times have you ever had ringworm? Never had ringworm. You've never had ringworm? Lucky, right? <laughs> That's a barrel of fun, ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you'll go places that don't have showers, anything, yep. and the guys, do they get shit? I don't know. I, I would assume so, right? But then again, I don't. I think with those gyms that don't have showers, like the dudes aren't training that much. No, no. Like, ugh. Like if you're if you're if you're a guy that like trains twice a week, and then like, I don't think your chances of getting it are going to be that high. It's only when you're doing two a days, five, seven days a week, and you're like practically eating on the mats, <laughs> like that got to really start taking in those extra precautions yeah yeah sure. but but dude like doing jujitsu or wrestling on the mats and rolling around even if you do it once a month it's like super unhygienic it's like you would need to shower after training even if it's once a week i'm not arguing <laughs> with you on that point i think everyone i don't shower. know if maybe you're just trying to get around showering you, after you, training yeah you know those you know those showers people do when they come out of like a nuclear reactor <laughs> yeah. i think you, we should have those yeah yeah 100 percent. i would like that i was telling you I, I wouldn't mind a gym where you showered on the way in and on the way out but you were saying that uh might kill the good bacteria right? that's what they was, yeah. that, that's what they've said unless like we I, grapple in the showers <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I'm, I'm, I, like, I like what your thought process is. Um, no, except I see some guys that come straight from friggin' work. Yeah, no, those people should shower. They have like chip rock on their arms. I'm yeah. like, and I'm looking at it and I see them put, put their gear on. I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, staff, where's the staff? <laughs> I, think, I think if you fucking. Um like work in an abattoir or something and you have bits of fucking pig bone on you, you should shower before training. I, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that thing like you, you should go to training like you're going on a first date, no? Not yeah, you should, yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? Nails cut. You don't want to be that person. That Bro, hypnol in wrong. your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Eli's first date. Um, if you get a chance to roll with Eli, Craig, please do so. Because I'm going to tell you, this program that we run, Hey, can you explain the program, Eloy, to to um, thing and your involvement in the program and how you ended up here, to to Craig, and then I'm gonna just put everything in perspective for you. Okay, so the program we run here at TAFE is a we run a cert three and four in fitness, but we have a link with Gracie Jiu Jitsu where the guys come down. We get them all over New South Wales, Aboriginal people all over New South Wales, and they tra travel down, stay here at Campbelltown. They also get to learn Jiu Jitsu, but get. Uh, qualification in fitness so they're cert three and four in fitness i was a student last year i came down i've done jiu-jitsu and that before trained a bit so i came down got to meet the guys down here and that and then yeah job opportunity arose and now i live down here and train with the guys at to and grange but very cool that's yeah yeah okay so you'd think in all of that you know you you know but i said to him come down and do a session with rob and that are training and we went there at the time we were training in the city. And Eli went to pass my guard, which, by the way, is not fucking hard to pass. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> it wasn't necessary to do what he did. Right? And he jumped up so high <laughs> right, that I fucking lost him <laughs> in the atmosphere. And he came down, blew my knee up. Six weeks I was out for. He landed like, uh, have you seen Mark Hunt's atomic butt drop? Yeah, yeah. It was like that, but without the finesse. He just landed <laughs> on top of me. Six weeks I was gone. So if you get a chance to roll with him, I don't know how you're going to deal with it, but he, he will do it. It was, it was pretty bad. I'll be so, ready for the atomic butt drop. Mate, he's a very, very dangerous person. He's also, his climb through the TAFE ranks has been something phenomenal. He was, he's been here six, six months. He has his own office. A year? A year. Yeah, all right. last January. Okay, he's been here for a year. He's got his own office. A lot of people lost their jobs in that process. <laughs> but <laughs> One person has lost. <laughs> <laughs> but but Eli has climbed his way to the top, mate. He's, he's survived. And he's worked his way into the podcast. Dave Roberts, <laughs> the regional manager, used to run this. You know Dave that was here before? Yep. Eli took his job too. So just be careful, mate. You got to keep your sleep with one eye open around this guy. He's a very, very dangerous man. So, so, so what's next for you now? What's next? Uh, I guess we'll try and find another opponent for this February match because I think Jackson's going to be out for a while <laughs> with that one. Sir. He's not going to tough it out. Yeah. So uh, actually, I'm flying to. Ja- Wait, I want to ask a question. Is he in fucking hospital? Uh, I believe he was in hospital. Yeah, I don't know if he still is. He'd have to be. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, I was just going to say, this weekend I'm actually filming something with Sakuraba. That's so cool. So it'd be cool to hang out with him. What are you going to do with him? So I'll be the demonstration partner, which I agreed to do before I actually remembered how horrible in his past uh, instruction he treats him. So I'll probably come out of that with a couple of injuries, actually. What's his uh, English like? He has no English. I have no Japanese. This is just getting better and better. (laughs) So that's going to be very interesting. What other competitions you got coming up? You you mentioned a competition earlier, but I don't know if we're allowed oh, to ask. Oh, yeah. I got a no time limit match with Tim Spriggs. When's that? That's I think that's in March. So that's with like Grappling Industries in Philadelphia. So that's going to be, uh, unless it finishes quick, that's going to be a very unpleasant day. Why is that? I mean, just no time limit. And Tim Spriggs, very, very athletic guy. So if he plays a very evasive game, last time they did a no time limit, it went for 90 minutes. 90 minutes. It's a long time to grapple for. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> what what kind of ha- what preparation do you do for that? Like what kind of cardio do you do? Like what kind of do you just do lots of rounds? Yeah, for that I haven't. I prepared for one once previous, but I didn't really change my training. So I'll try and think of a good way to prepare for that match. I'll definitely prepare as if it's going to go for that long. You told me about another match potentially in May. In May. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I can't talk about that one yet. But that would be a rematch. So I'll leave that as the as the hint. Is it hard? Do you find that in... Because in jiu-jitsu and wrestling and sports like that of that nature, you might have to prepare for someone several, several times. Now, if someone has... Say you've beaten them once and they've beaten you three times or two times or whatever, how hard is that to prepare for? Because um, now you're, you're not just having matches where they're in your bracket. Like you're having like super fights. Yeah, that's, that's how it's changed, I guess, is that when you do a tournament, you sort of want to come up with a game plan for the tournament, for the division. So you're preparing for a, a wide range of people. So I guess just doing super fights and grappling, you sort of get, I guess, the same strategic prep as you would for like an MMA fight. Like you only have to worry about one opponent. So you can really try and study their game, figure out a good strategy to beat them. 
So that I enjoy that side of it more than preparing for a tournament. For a tournament, you just never know who you're going to get. What's it like to rematch someone? It's good. I think uh, I like to rematch someone I've lost to, right? I'd, I'd much rather that. I, f I find it very difficult if you've beaten someone. The, uh, do, you, like, do you change your winning strategy? You sort of got, have to because you know they're, unless they have terrible game planning, they're not going to come in with the same strategy, right? So that, I find it much more difficult to prepare for someone I've already beaten than to try and just wing a new strategy against someone that, where my strategy failed me last time. What about you, Rob? You had to face the same guy twice in a barrel of fun for all the family fight. What's that like? Um, it's, it's hard. It's like you said, because um, you try to work out a strategy for his counter strategy. And um, like, you, yeah, you were there. Like we, we worked it for close to a year. The thing was, um, you can't truly understand how that new strategy is going to affect you until you're in there. You know, and that's where I guess you start finding things out. But it's, I, I don't really like, um, rematch is all right, but it, it gets, I like, I like new, new faces, new, new, new opponents. I like, I like the, the new challenge, the new obstacles and the new thought processes. Find, following, trying to stick to the same game plan and the same same sort of style stylistic matchups for like that amount of time can just wear on you. It's not as exciting, right? Yeah. How much in your sorry? Can you can you can you go? Yeah, can you? Yeah. How much in your because no, I think you're covering your face with the with the microphone. In your in your match, how much? How, wait, you've had have you grappled against Gordon Ryan twice? Three times. Three times. How, what was the changes that were made in, in those matches? Um, the first one, I mean, the first time we, we had a match, I was already uh, drinking beers, so I didn't have much of a game plan going into that one. Uh, when we, we had a second match at EBI, and we mixed up the game plan a bit for that. Uh, I was trying to force, I was trying to obviously engage the legs or force an overtime, and EBI rules. Why were you forcing the overtime? Because uh, EBI so it was like it's four matches to win the tournament, and if it goes ten minutes, now you alternate between back control or in an armbar, and you do that three times or until someone submits the other one. But over the course of the tournament, Gordon, well, I had three matches in three minutes, so I was coming in fresh. Gordon had three matches, and I think he'd already been out there for over twenty minutes. So given how fatigued he was. I was hoping I would force an overtime and beat him in the overtime rounds. And it was, it was working out. I got Gordon in an armbar, but he just didn't tap to the armbar. Took a fair amount of damage. Didn't break his arm, but took a fair amount of damage. And then he survived that and came back to, uh, to choke me. I think with the arm, I, had, I almost broke. <laughs> Fuck. How, how big is he? He's a big guy. Eh? <clears throat> For that event, he was the biggest I've ever seen him, he was 233 pounds. So it's like 108? 108, and I think I was maybe 200 pounds, I think, for that event. So and about 90 kilos. Yeah, and I always think to myself, I'm like, would his arm have broken if we were the same weight? <laughs> but that's a lot bigger, though. That's a huge man that he is. Heel hooks. How so, much, that would affect your game a lot, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think it ended up playing a factor into this one, because... Uh, I, 
I took a guillotine. He, he shot at me and I took a guillotine where I probably should have just defended the takedown. And by missing the guillotine, he landed super deep in a really great control. And it was just downhill from there. I wasn't able to scramble to even recover back to a neutral position. And he was able to take the back and choke me. So, yeah, it was, uh, it's tough to game plan for that, especially for a guy like that who, who's very, very creative. He comes at you in different ways every single time. He's probably, I would say, the best grappler in the world right now. Okay. Um, and in your rematch, what, was, what were the differences that you felt from Yol and what were the differences that you brought in? Um, well, I had a lot of success with, with, with the first game, game plan I implemented on him in, uh, in, um, in the first fight. So in the second fight, I implemented like a, a similar game plan because we saw, we were watching how he fought and we saw the way he fought against Rockhold. And, you know, we, we try to predict his, his, new, his new style, which still fit into my original game plan. Um, yeah, so, so, so we won with that. But the, I guess the, the difference, the biggest factor was, like, when I was in there with him, his resilience to, to, to damage. Like, it's just, just that. And, and, and he's just raw sh- sheer amount of power he has. But he, he always looks like he has power, but, like... Um, yeah, it was something special that fight. With um, what's it like being tra- what's it been like training with Rob? I I said to Craig earlier that one of the goals was for you to get your grappling like close to his level, and he just laughed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he just laughed a lot, a lot, a lot, and then sort of like hugged me and cried a little bit, and, like, and then laughed again. But what's it been like training? With no, it's been it's been a bit of a wake up call just to see how. Uh, great an athlete these guys are you know what I mean and how mentally strong and just don't fatigue and they make uh, make adjustments on the fly even in just a, a few short days Rob's been able to make adjustments and I guess implement like even today he changed his strategy against me and was able to shut me down for the entire round you know what I mean <laughs> so which round was that so what it was like a one minute round <laughs> at the end after, <laughs> after like we just trained so hard he had been put against everyone like 50 times and it was a one it was like a one minute round right at the end because yeah there was another round where you didn't tap Rob I saw that but you weren't rolling with him <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were rolling with someone else <laughs> so yeah so sorry you were saying that what it's been like training yeah just uh i think as mma obviously mma guys have to adapt to multiple different arts right so i think they they have to uh change game plans a lot quicker you know what i mean obviously you're not dedicated you can't dedicate yourself to an individual aspect when you have to spread it over i guess multiple areas so these guys have to test out new game plans each and every day right so it's uh it's good to see how they adjust each and every training session just minor adjustments what about you, Rob? What's it like been? What's it been like training <coughs> with? Yeah, a massive eye opener just just to the caliber of like, you know, those best in the world few, those those guys at the pinnacle of grappling right now. It's uh, like there's a there's a there's a huge level shift. Yeah, huge, huge, um, and yeah, you know, um, that's that, that that I guess has been the the biggest one. You know, that just that just realizing how deep grappling is and how 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 deep the pool is like uh, of talent it's just unreal what happens for you now will you go home will you go back to melbourne after after tokyo you'll come back will you be in melbourne for a while training 
Yeah, I'll be I'll be in Melbourne for the next month. Okay, and then? <clears throat> and then uh, head over to the UK for this match. Then I'll head over to the States for the, the next match straight after. And then I'll probably be looking at uh, seeing what match comes next for <clears throat> May and base see where my base will be to prepare for that. But ADCC will be September, so that'll be the main goal for the for everything, really. So are you putting time aside? And where will you base your training at for, for ADCC? I'd say in Melbourne. I mean, it depends. Like, yeah, Lockie, my coach, depending on if he qualifies, that'll be a contributing factor too because obviously it's much easier preparing for a tournament with someone else in the tournament. So that'd be a contributing factor. But uh, be something I have to decide around the time, I think. You know what I mean? It's hard to it's hard to find training partners in grappling sometimes, especially if it could be a potential opponent. I was about to ask you that if you go overseas, what's that like now? Because like you going overseas and and preparing for competition, you're potentially preparing with your competition. Exactly. Yeah, that does make it uh, it it does make it strange sometimes rolling with a guy that you might compete against. I don't mind if we compete and then we train straight after or something. But yeah, if you have to compete against each other in the immediate future, then it gets tricky. And you're there with his coaches, and I imagine his coaches don't care about you at all, like in that scenario. Yeah, well, when I have trained at John Danaher's, uh, it has been just great. Like it's sort of, from from my perspective, it's not like there were any secrets. Guys would help me out with whatever, you know what I mean? But I guess if it does come down to uh, a match against someone from their team, obviously that's definitely going to favor them, having had me in there seeing the game I play. Yeah. But again, that gives you the op- the opportunity to know what they expect from you and change the game plan for potential match in the future. So if you go now, you go Tokyo? Tokyo, yeah. And then you go... Then I stop over in Cairns for a seminar on the way back and then back to Melbourne for the next month. And then you go from there to... To the UK, probably mid-February. And you, you'll do a seminar and then you've got to compete in May? Uh, I'll compete in February, March... And then I think the next one will probably be May after that. Is it hard for you to get enough training in? Definitely, definitely. It's, a, it's like, a, it's just a balancing act between staying fit, getting enough training, but also saying yes to enough seminars, supplement the income enough, but not too much where I would lose, lose that training altogether. Fuck, it's a big balancing act. Massive yeah. balancing act. Yeah. All right. Um, Eli, do you have anything? Do you mind if I'm uh, just going to see if we have any questions from fans? Yeah. That it's probably just my mum listening to the podcast, <laughs> but because um, there's always people asking stuff on the thing. Eh? Yes, there is. What's your opinion on John Jones versus Anthony Smith? Anyone? You can take this one. I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know. I guess it's interesting after. I guess if John Jones would be licensed here, because that's meant to be scheduled for Nevada, right? Yeah. I guess, I guess with John Jones, there's so much more interesting things around the fight than the fight itself. I don't know. That's gonna, on that question, somebody else asked, which I was going to ask as well. Please ask Craig about PEDs in the upper echelon of BJJ. <laughs> right. I guess the reality is there's just no drug testing in Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> so super clean. So no one takes anything, yeah. Honesty system. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you get a note like Powerhouse, yeah, yeah. it's fine. So, so it's rife. It's rife, yeah. Well, I guess it's it's rife because uh, I don't want this to sound racist, but like d- different cultures, uh, it's not as big a deal to them. 
You know what I mean? I think uh, in Brazilian culture, it's very common. I don't even think it's illegal there. Yeah, I mean, in Russia, in... You, you lived in Brazil? Yeah, it's very free-flowing. You can go down to the chemist and they'll jab you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's also commonly known down there that they say, do you know what I mean? When you go to these big competitions, everyone's going to be juiced up. So then they think in their head, I need to be juiced up for it to be able to counter that. Well, you, sometimes you, you need to to avoid being hurt. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like if, you're, <laughs> if you're a young guy and you're not juiced up, you go up against someone like Pal Harris... And you're like, what? What are you gonna do? You're gonna die. Juice up. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get your leg broken and bleed the out. The women yeah, in Brazil love like juicing up as well. Yeah, that's an interesting thing yeah, I've heard as well. I love it because of the legs. Do you know what I mean they, 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 they pump in the legs? And they the value pump. the the muscle a yeah. bit more. Yeah, they love it. So it is it is more or less rife. Well, the, at the IBJJF Gi Worlds, they test, but it could be anyone on the podium. It but could I, be anyone on the podium and they test that day. And they test that day, yeah. So what, is it, what does Victor Conte say? He's like, if they tell you when you're going to test, it's not a drug test, it's, it's an, an IQ, IQ test. test. Yeah. But it, it's so, that, that's not even testing. So well, I guess what's funny is some guys still fail the test. <laughs> Jesus. <Yeah. laughs> Why don't you cycle off, dude? Just, <laughs> yeah, just fucking just cycle just off. Just relax. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down a bit, mate. But that speaks, eh? Like, not just of your IQ, but like of where your mindset has to be at that you're like... I can't even cycle off like I need. <laughs> uh, the best, I always wanted to play this prank, but I don't want to play the prank where they have the ability to compete against me and injure me. Is I want to... Sorry, what would you say? Like, I want to play a prank at one of these jiu-jitsu tournaments. Like, for ADCC, there's no drug testing at all. I'd love to pay someone to pretend to be a reporter and, like, interview these guys and be like, what do you think about them implementing drug testing this year? And just see... Oh, the reactions. <laughs> the facial expression change. <laughs> Fuck. But, fuck it, but in the UFC, they don't even ban you anyway. It's like, it, nah. uh, they just move the show. <laughs> Big shots. <laughs> fuck. Big shots. Uh, <laughs> does Rob use a sports nutritionist for his training weight cuts? What would be his usual daily calories in training? That's from Tristan Cannell. No idea. Um, no, I've got, I got, got a great team around me that, that um, they give me advice and, and, and talk to me and guide me through the ways of nutrition, like... Like a lot, most of my team have diplomas in, in uh, sports science and, and health, so um, like I'm I've, I've, I'm lucky enough to have great guidance in terms of like my nutrition and whatnot. I don't count calories as much as just make sure I'm eating when I should be eating the right types of foods, and and, and the amounts are, are, are the same. Also, like we've spoken about spreadsheets a lot of the times, but that we 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 track my weight throughout the year on these spreadsheets as well so we can tell when my 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 weight's spiking or, or not or coming down based on the amount of training based on how i'm eating based on the time of time of year it is here's a question it says should the ufc follow bjj and just make peds legal practically is <laughs> what do you think craig we'll come back to you in a second <laughs> well so the, my problem is, right, is if, if you have a drug testing system in place and there are clear examples of people beating the testing, then you actually... Or taking tainted supplements. Yeah. Well, and it's always them that take it. So many of them. <laughs> well, so many tainted supplements. You probably created a more uneven playing field in that the rich, successful athletes can afford to beat the tests and the lower-level guys can't. So if you're trying to take away an uneven playing field, but what you're doing is creating... A bigger uneven playing field, then you, uh, this 
I don't know what the answer is. I don't think it's to to open it up, but it's clearly not working, right? What do you think, Rob? I think I think what we should do bear with me here <laughs> is extend the round to thirty minutes and then like if no one dies, like draw as well as bring in a lot of those different techniques and let everyone not only allow it, but encourage PEDs. I think, I think we should develop new, newer and more improving drugs so that everyone is superhuman. So that you have like a superhuman fight for 30 minutes. Straight. Like straight, crazy, everyone, no weight limits. You know what, but at least if you know that, we can, you can go off that. 100%, and then everyone's crazy and the fights will be more exciting, everyone will love it. <laughs> And then we can we can start bringing in once once you get a human that's like 250 jacked fast agile we can start doing crazier things like animal fights and group <laughs> fights and different things like that like you know, um, we've, we 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 gone past the the limitations of human good hoxton wants to know advice for someone who wants to start bjj i'm assuming that's for craig or eli <laughs> uh wants to start it but they don't train at all i guess I'm assuming so. First, obviously, goes without saying, copious amounts of steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge, yeah. I would say uh, don't wait to get fit to get into it. But if you're if you haven't done any exercise for a long time, definitely ease yourself into it. Some of the most devastating injuries I've seen are, are guys that have maybe been behind the desk for ten years and then come into grappling, thinking they're going to kill everyone, and then they take a bad injury. So I definitely think baby steps into it you know what i mean if you're if you've had an inactive life i guess i like the pitch in there i think i think you're onto something i think copious amounts of peds <laughs> but for at least like three years you need like three years of that stuff and then jump into the beginner's class <laughs> well there's people that do that <laughs> there are people that do that um there's a guy here there's 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 a couple of people arguing oh something about the elite elite Jews in the world. So we're going to leave that one completely alone. <laughs> um, and there's another thing. Ah, do you think that if I'm paraphrasing this person, this person's comment, but it says something about um, basically does it detract from from the fight if if a person has cut a lot of weight and he's the bigger fighter. Do you think it detracts from the fight, Eli? <laughs> yes. Do you? Do you think like if a guy, like a much bigger guy cuts down, like say John Jones is bigger than Rashad Evans, does it take away from the fight or does the fact that they both made the weight, that's all that matters? Um, what, what do you mean? Do you mean like, does, will John Jones suffer for having the bigger cut? No, like they're saying, like, say, say, for example, if you cut weight, if you do a big weight cut to get into division and you win your fight, does it take away from your win the fact that you are bigger and that you were able to make the weight? Not at all. Yeah, not at all. That's right, a stupid say. answer, Eli. Yeah. Oh, I, you. I thought the same as what you thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not at all. If, like, if you've suffered and killed yourself to get into the division, and I'm also, I'm also going off that you're both clean and it's straight 180, yeah. like you guys are good. And then, you made the weight. Yeah, and you made the weight. You made the weight. Like that's it. Like you had to suffer. Like you could have hopped in the sauna too. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Craig? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, like they say, I mean, it's not just them cutting weight. That's a horrible experience they have to go through. So knowing how bad it is to cut weight, I don't think it detracts from the victory. Do you want us to call you, this is my question, do you want us to call you Craig or Craig? Uh, That's amazing that they call you that. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm used to both of them now. Who calls, who, what do they call you? Americans say Craig. Australians say Craig. 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 Huh. Yeah. And, and you're okay with Craig? Yeah, I'm used to both now. Sometimes people say Craig and I think they're saying Greg or something. So Do you have a fight me. name? No, no fight name. Can I give you one? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to give him? I don't know, but I'll work it out. <laughs> All right, um, <laughs> leave it with me. <laughs> Just, um, I'm going to leave it. Let's leave it there because some of these people are asking weird questions. Oh. Um, and... No, I'm just leaving it. <laughs> uh, now, thank you very much, guys, for coming on the show. Can you tell us what's on next for you? Um, I guess I'm competing in Liverpool in England in February 23. That'll be the next competition. Okay. Rob, what's going on with you? Fighting in Melbourne, February 10. Um, Kelvin Gaston. That should be fun. Uh, it's going to be a great card. Seats are sold out, so... If you missed out, it, it sold out ridiculously quick, eh? Eight minutes, eight minutes. So that's uh, that's in about four weeks now, four and a half weeks, or is it five weeks? Four. four. Yeah, four and a half weeks, four and a half weeks now. So uh, four, almost four to the day. It's eighth of January. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's coming coming close. It's training, training along should be a bit of fun. How's training going? Yeah, it's been hard. This week's been hard with all mate here. <laughs> it's been hard for me too. <laughs> coming, coming in and just it's destroying us. It's, uh, but it's, it's been it's been fun, you know. Fortunately enough, is like you're a nice enough bloke. Would have been awkward uh, awkward week if <laughs> if you weren't. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 been great. You know, a lot of lot of things learnt, uh, networks made, hard training done, which is which is the key. And um, and yeah, you know. Give us a thing. What what the training's been? So what's what's the training been with, with you two this week? Like, which been grappling, like, like a lot of the day. Yeah, like break that down to. I don't know. Well, get up early. Seven thirty. I don't. I don't <laughs> like getting up before eight. I hate it. There's something about seven thirty that just kills me. Like what time have you been getting up? Yeah, about seven thirty-two. Anything before eight is terrible. Like nothing good happens before eight o'clock. Um, the side side rant. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> then we go to training and we grapple in the morning, uh, which is hard. Then we have a break after that, a couple of hours to go eat. Just more or less, just eat. And we grab your gear and then go back to training. We go back to training. We have a bigger stint throughout the afternoon. Um, again, more hard gra- grappling more hard training and then we we wrap it up for the night rest recover just like with the heat that it hasn't actually it hasn't even been that hot here but I've, I've had to after the sessions i've had to spend the rest of the night like hydrating like violently it's <laughs> still it's still pretty hot though would you would you say craig it's still pretty hot yeah like the humidity right yeah humidity yeah, i'm the same i'm just drinking non-stop fluids after class like, it looks like I've, I've cut weight after the sessions. Like my face is ruined, like, and I, like I have to just rehydrate the whole night. Like it's it's hard, and um, yeah, we, we we do that and then sleep, 
try to get to sleep early enough. Don't usually wake up at 7.30 again. <laughs> Excellent. We've got one more day today and then tomorrow. And then tomorrow night, we have a seminar at our gym with you. Yep, yeah. So we'll run over some leg locks tomorrow night. Awesome. Nah, no, great. All right, thank you very much, guys. And uh, shout out to Absolute MMA in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you very Peace, much, guys. guys.